Chong Talk with Vicky Baez and JC. Enjoy the show! Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to yet another fantastic episode of HR Talk. I'm JC, up in the northeastern United States, where the lockdown continues. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm starting to smell myself around this time, let me tell you. Hygiene, so so important. And all the way down in sunny central Florida, in the land of the miles where he still visits it every day, even though they don't let him in. Please welcome the man, the myth, the legend, the guy with so many post-nominals that on our most recent webinar, he actually added my name as part of his most most recent post-nominals, Ricky Baez. Game number 55 in Cornhead. <laughs> Dude, you killed me with that. When we kicked that webinar off yesterday, you were talking about uh, ways to you know, uh, find uh, find a path for your future when yeah. it comes to finding a new job after the COVID-19 crisis or try to find a new job for yourself. And you had your name up there on the slide and that you had all your post-nominals and then you had slash uh, with JC. <laughs> you incorporated <laughs> me into your post-nominals. Well, I feel well, honored. Well, I feel well, honored. Here's what happened. Here's Did what I make happened. the business was- card too? I was putting the presentation together, and I'm like, this is being presented by Efren Ricky Bias Jr., MHR, SPHR, Sherm, SCP, and then underneath. With JC. (laughs) JC, right? Yeah, with JC. So I'm like, you know what? Let's just incorporate it. Let's do Sherm, SCP, comma, W slash JC. You are your own certification. Sorry, you should be proud of that. Oh, yeah, no, definitely feel certified right now the way that you're talking to me, man. (laughs) Holy smokes. Well, look, it's been an exciting week. Um, Not really. It's been just another humdrum, terrible week. We've had bad weeks at work, and that's fine. We're not even going to get into that. But I don't want to belabor things right now because, Rick, we have probably one of the more high-profile guests that we've had on the show in a very long time since last week. So please, if you could, introduce the uh, gentleman that we have today. We have Joe Exotic on? You're killing me. He's got the COVID-19. They just transferred him to a new hospital. Oh. Yeah. Well, no, they yeah, no, it's okay. Well, the HR Talk, the intern, tweeted that out this oh, morning. Yeah, there's a whole lot going God. on. You'll have to pull that up. But before oh, okay. Joe Exotic Talk, come on, Rick. Yeah. Who do we got today, <laughs> no, actually, brother? No. Here's who we have. Look, there's a lot of things going on in the world today, and, and that and that is the understatement of the year. So right now, um, us as uh, as well, not not even American citizens, us as human beings in the world, we are finding different ways on how to make money. We're finding. Listen to me before you jump down my throat. I see your face, dude. Hold well, yeah, on. I'm, I'm getting, getting the, I'm just getting the energetic music going for a big introduction here. But you're talking about <laughs> no, yourself. This is right? it. This is right, the introduction. Ahead. Sorry. Bro, hold on. I'm gonna wait for the music. So as we try to work with this new COVID world that we're in, we're working from home. We got kids with us. We're now teachers. I'm expecting my W-2 from my public school system because now I'm doing that kind of job and hats off to them. But we have somebody on the show today who is an expert on the employer side of employment and labor law. He is an employment and labor law attorney. Um, he is a founding member of uh, Kluger Healy uh, Attorneys at Law. We have Mr. Mark Kluger on the show with us today. Mr. Kluger, sir. Good morning. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to be with you. Oh, it's my pleasure and honor, Mark. Thank you for coming on the program. So, Mark, you are out of New Jersey, correct? Uh, New Jersey and New York City. New New Jersey and New York City. So why don't you tell the audience a little bit about who you are and what do you do today? 
Well, I'm a management side uh, labor and employment lawyer, have been for over 30 years, so a long time at this business. And uh, what am I doing today? What I'm doing today is trying to keep up with uh, the state and federal governments as they are churning out new laws, regulations, executive orders almost on a daily basis. Mark, it's crazy, right? It's crazy. Just when we get our head wrapped around FERCA and then the CARES Act goes through and then the connections between CARES and FFCRA and everything in between is mind boggling or mind bottling, as uh, I think uh, they say in the movies. <laughs> that is for sure. There's an awful lot to digest and an awful lot to try and translate for employers. And and it's amazing because 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 you are right. They are it. It is coming out every single day. It's almost like they're making up for all the times they didn't work these past 10 years. Right. <laughs> like, every yeah, no, single day things come in and they, and then we have to go to uh, um, people in your sector and say, how do you translate this? Because it is a lot. And if you as an attorney, if this makes your head spin, could you imagine the regular employee who's just trying to understand FMLA and trying to get their unemployment benefits, let alone decipher this law and this CARE Act and all these things that came down the pipe? So I'm assuming you're really busy right now, right, with uh, all your clients calling you? Oh, yeah. No, it's it's really been uh, 24-7, uh, you know, between, uh, you know, just all the calls trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, we've seen the evolution. It started mm-hmm. with... Uh, you know, for, for my world, it started with the first executive order from Governor Cuomo and what did it mean? And then Governor Murphy in New Jersey issued an executive order. Employers wanted to know what it, what it meant, who can work, who can't work. That was yeah. the beginning of this. And then once everyone sort of got comfortable with what was essential and what was non essential, uh, all, all these other regulations and laws started kicking in. Mm. So it's been, really just uh, a marathon to try and keep up with what it means and what we're advising employers to do. So uh, as we talk today, Mark, if it's okay, uh, when we're talking about some of these uh, deep dive legal topics, uh, maybe we're brushing the surface, but is it safe to say that our discussion today is not official legal advisement? If anyone wants to, they could call you on their free time and, and that'll be a separate piece, correct? Uh, yes, and thank you for that, Jason. Oh, you're certainly more than welcome. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> don't, don't want to don't want to give legal advice today, but uh, you know, high level view of everything that's going on is uh, fair game. So, Market Watch just put out an article on the third uh, at around two ten p.m. to be quite exact. MarketWatch.com, and the title of this one states: "Cares Act allows the unemployed to take on a side gig and still collect benefits underneath hmm. these rules and regulations." This came out this weekend. Uh, you know, as as we're quarantined into our homes and, and trying to make the best of life, it's it's stuff like this as it's uh, it being dissected over the span of just two days, three days. You've got to be ready to go come Monday morning, though, at the same time, right? Yeah, well, Saturday night in New Jersey was uh, spent uh, reading FFCRA regulations on the couch. and <laughs> Wild, wild yeah. night. <laughs> no, it's insane. It's just crazy. All, all kinds of good stuff. You know, the only problem for me is it didn't come with pictures, and I was a little <laughs> I could have used that. But, but uh, you know, the um, I, I, I happened to note uh, on your last show your, uh, last week where you had uh, – uh, one of my colleagues from down south, uh, mm-hmm. and he was talking about the FAQs for FFCRA, and he noted that there were, I think, 37 last week, uh, up to 79 as of this morning. 
So it's just going to keep getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. So you mentioned, uh, JC, you mentioned the CARES Act. I mean, you know, in, yeah. in this in this idea that employees can uh, can have side gigs while they're collecting unemployment. I mean, first of all, the CARES Act is 880 pages. So uh, that's, that, talk about your deep dive, right? That's yeah. an awful lot of material. But that, you know, clearly what the government's doing, which is which is really commendable, is that they're trying to make this as easy as possible for people to get as much income as they can while this is going on. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, I'm with you. You know, they 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 are trying, but over 800 pages. So in, in that and, CARES Act, they're stating yeah. that the act temporarily increases weekly unemployment benefits for laid off workers by $600 a week for up to four months, in addition to existing state benefits. But while state unemployment offices rush to process a surge in unemployment applications, they must also answer a more complicated question. How much gig work disqualifies a person from receiving Mm. unemployment? Now, I I could attest to you if I go back just maybe about a year or two, I was in that situation where the day job there, there was no more day job for a brief period of time and Mm -hmm. people were lining up to get that unemployment. And because I do have the side businesses and things that I do on the side, I was exempt. I, I was not able to obtain unemployment benefits during that time. So in this article from MarketWatch, they're stating that some 76% of freelancers report having contracts or gigs canceled by clients, according to uh, that recent published Freelancers Union article representing 57 million independent workers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, unprecedented times. Strange things taking place right now. So last week, we did talk with Mr. Miklas just a bit about FFCRA, and it's understood that the DOL regulations have expanded exponentially. When we're thinking about the CARES Act, though, uh, Mr. Kluger, is there anything that that employers should try to keep in mind when it comes to the CARES Act and how that may interface with FFCRA from an employer perspective? Or is the CARES Act more of a employee benefit that's something that's going to help the individual as they move forward that the employer might not necessarily have to be too concerned about? Well, the, the really sort of two sides of the CARES Act. The one is the is the unemployment aspect of it, which you which you mentioned, which is going to add $600 a week to the weekly benefits, uh, that is ultimately going to, you know, it's, it sounds, um, it sounds uh, like it's going to add auto, uh, automatically to the uh, state benefits, but it's actually going to, there's a, a formula that's going to temper it down so that employees are not going to be making more on unemployment than they would if they were. Employed. Yeah. So, right. so, so for example, here in New Jersey, weekly benefits, or unemployment are as high as $713 a week. And when you add $600 to that, um, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so that's living in, that's living in the Northeast, uh, this part of the, you know, much higher than Florida. Yeah. But, yeah. but Ricky, that's Jersey. I mean, that, that much per you know, week, I, you'll barely be able no, to make your rent by the end of the month. <laughs> no, no, correct. No, no. Trust me. I get that. It, it's so I'm helping my employees with that right now. And, and here is two, two fifty five, two seventy a week. And to here, 700 and then an additional 600. And obviously every state is different, right? So, you're right. It's. I'm wondering what's going to happen if it gets to the point that it makes it as even keel as their current jobs right now, and it doesn't make it enticing to go back to work. Right, and that's and that's really what's going to happen is yeah. the, the state departments of labor have to take that formula into account. So, like you said, like New York State is much less than New Jersey, actually. So, New Jersey unemployment being that high, 
employees who are not making $1,300 a week are not going to, in their, in their job, are not going to get $1,300 a week in unemployment benefits. Yeah. As you said, Ricky, it makes it, uh, there's no incentive to go back to work. Yeah. The other aspect of the CARES Act, though, that's important is, is the, is the uh, payroll protection program, which is really the employer, that's the employer's job to get that money to keep people on payroll. Mm. Okay. So it's, is there an expiration date? It's, so, so, so where, what happens to the employer? Because I know the employer has to pay some kind of premiums for unemployment. So how does that affect the employer and what, what points they have to pay into that unemployment system? Yeah, no, that, that's a really great question, Ricky, because I, I, I have a lot of employers who are you know, really nervous about mm -hmm. this will ultimately impact their experience. It's not a dollar for dollar experience, but it's blow up. The CARES Act actually addressed that. Yeah, said none of this enhancement is going to count against the employer. Oh, okay. Nice, nice, nice. Okay. Oh, so so that, it's, that it's almost like a cooking of the books. Yeah, no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't say that. You're not saying that either. But no, I'm, 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 he I'm did not say, no. didn't say that. No, none of us said that. I was never even here. I didn't, no, no, he wasn't. Never heard of you guys. Yeah, no, but I mean, outside looking in, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking to myself, like, I saw The Sopranos. I, I know how this goes. No, I'm oh kidding. Oh, my God. I'm dude. kidding. <laughs> what what took you so long to bring that up? You're talking to <laughs> Jersey. <laughs> Ten and, minutes into hey, the call. <laughs> <laughs> hey, not, oh. not for nothing, but not all of us are uh, are that part of Jersey. <laughs> hey, hey, Mark, it's understood. It's all good over here. No, no problems. No problems. Hey, uh, the interesting thing about all this, I have to tell you, just outside looking in, when we're talking about the changes that went into effect out in California and AB5 and the continual debate that's going on with the independent workers and the gig economy and the contracts and those same debates in Texas and Florida and all over the nation. And now we're in the same position where nationally, this is something that's going to directly impact States like New Jersey and New York, when we're talking about those unemployment benefits and, and the future of the workplace moving forward. So, I mean, we're only speculating about the future with this question when I put this out there, sir. But if, if we're thinking about people that have those gig economy jobs, they drive for Uber at night and then they uh, day trade. And they're not a good day trader. That's why they're, you know, they're 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 working in New York. They're day trading. They don't make a lot of money, so they're still driving Uber while they're coming up, right? You know, they're doing what they got to do, and they're they're just getting by. I mean, we've all heard it. Rent's too damn high, right? So at the end of the day, when you try to define and refine the independent contractor stuff, and we think about the future, the other side of this hurdle of COVID nineteen, where do you think this is going to shake out in the sense yeah. of AB five from a Jersey or northeastern or national perspective? Yeah, it's a really great question, JC. I, I think that we're going to see a, a, probably a retooling of priorities. I mean, mm. you know, for obvious reasons, the government is, you know, has a bad taste in its mouth about the gig economy, about, in, about employers particularly treating employees as independent contractors, yeah. or I shouldn't say employees, but workers as independent contractors. Why? Because they're not getting the benefit of contributions to unemployment, they're not getting contributions to disability insurance because these are workers who are getting a 1099 mm -hmm. as opposed to being on the payroll. The, the interesting thing, though, is obviously with the tremendous meltdown that we're experiencing right now is these gig jobs are keeping people alive. And to 
and, and to really put employers in a position where you've got no choice but to put people on payroll as opposed to cutting them loose, I think the government's going to have to back off that and look at it as people need to do what they need to do. So if they have a side gig and, or their regular work is uh, work that the government has for the last several years been trying to drive into payroll jobs, uh, they may back off that and say, you know what, let people do what they need to do and let employers keep their heads above water by not having people on payroll who might be able to survive as they wish as, mm. as, as 1099. As they wish. Can we expand on that? I mean, because sure. that's, that's, that's really broad. <laughs> yeah. Right? No, I, I yeah, no, that, that's, what I find most often from my clients is that when they have somebody um, getting 1099 and, you know, obviously I give them, I give them the right legal advice, which mm -hmm. is to say, Hey, that person comes into your office every day. They uh, take direction from you. They're using your laptop to do their work. They're an employee. You better get them on the payroll. And they say, I cannot tell you how often this comes up. They say, but the worker doesn't want to be on the payroll. They want, they want, to, to be an independent contractor because they have other things going on. They have side gigs. They don't want to have the same parameters. They don't want the withholding taken from them. They don't want to pay into these, into these government funds. So what, so that's a dilemma, you know, because it's more often than not the worker who is saying, pay me off the books Give me a 1099 at the end of the year. I'm going to pay my taxes. It's not like, yeah. like it's not like the employer's helping right. them cheat on the taxes. They're paying their taxes. Mm -hmm. That's why they're getting a 1099. Yeah. So, so the real question is, and and you've seen it, like you've seen the protests, right, from mm -hmm. workers who are saying, "Don't take my rights away." Yeah. Uh, and so there's going to, I think there's going to be a retooling of how that's going to work. I love how some employees rely on. The fact that, but their employee, but the employee wants to do this. That it's not excuse to violate the law. <laughs> it really yeah, isn't, but, right? But to what he's saying, though, an employer should be able to make that decision that best fits their business model. So, where if if that job or position doesn't necessarily, maybe it wasn't written into the plan for the future that this was going to be a full-time position and we're going to keep this 1099 independent contract and we're not going to be paying into benefits and some of these other things. And that's what the employer wishes to do. That's what they want to do. The employees or rather the independent contractors that are taking the work, they know this heading into it. So let them, let them be and let the market yeah. continue freely. Right. So, yeah, but there has to be some regulation there too, right? To make sure it's being fair and equitable across the board. And then there isn't any exemption status that's in jeopardy because somehow you're misclassifying your employees, right? So, yes, the employee may want to be working under the table because that may be good for him or her. But what that employee and that specific employer may not realize that if you violate that, if you misclassify, misclassify that person for that one job, it may misclassify all your other job codes and job descriptions in the rest of the company because of that one instance. Okay, fair. So maybe the employee that, doesn't know that's happening. And there's there's no question, Ricky. That, and I, listen, I mean, I as I said, I drive my clients toward putting everyone on payroll because mm -hmm. there are very few exceptions that make somebody genuinely independent. But what's also interesting about what's happening right now is, and I, I was really surprised to see this, is that the Department of, Departments of Labor, state and federal, 
are making these unemployment benefits available to independent contractors. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like they're throwing them a, a lifeline. But, but at the end of the day, Ricky, to your point, you know, who's paying these funds, right? Yeah. I mean, normally, right, all of the, the benefits that we're talking about, unemployment, disability insurance, which is also being heavily taxed um, for, you know, for people who are out because they're sick or because they're taking care of somebody who's sick in, you know, in New York and New Jersey, they're eligible for temporary disability benefits. Who's paying into those funds yeah. but employees through payroll tax? So now what you're doing is you're making those benefits available to independent contractors through these emergency laws. But at the end of the day, that's not really fair to the people who are contributing. You got that right. <laughs> you get, but you know what, though? It, I hear you, Mark, but then it's we're in an uncharted waters right now. I mean, I think the last time something this mass happened, we wasn't the the economics, uh, uh, the economic superpower we are today as we were back in the early 1900s. So, yeah, it, it's it's I hear you, but you're right. Who's going to pay for it? It's not fair for everybody else who's paying, or especially if you live in a state where taxes are insane. So, yeah, I bet that that would rub some people the wrong way. But so. Right now, with all your clients giving you a call and saying, what do I do? What do I do? What is the common denominator? What is the most common question you're getting from an employer's perspective amongst all this? Uh, you know, it, it really, there are sort of two sort of two sides of it because some employers are shut down, right? So, so mm -hmm. those employers um, who are not working, they're asking questions about FFCRA and whether or not employees are eligible for those benefits retroactively, you know, what, or, or what, you know, um, what they can do with uh, people who are working remotely. So probably the biggest question for those who have employees working remotely is April 1st, as you know, FFCR went into yep. place. The schools in New York and New Jersey are shut down, right? So everybody's saying, do I have to give people benefits under this emergency FMLA law mm. because they're home taking care of their kids, even though they can work remotely? And a lot of employees are now calling in and saying, um, well, my kids are home. I'm doing what you said at the beginning of the show, Ricky. I've become, I've become a, uh, a, a teacher. A teach, part time teacher. Where's my W-2? Bring it in. <laughs> I've become a teacher against my will. Um now my boss is telling me I got to stay online, you know, to uh, to work. Yeah. Why, why can't I get the emergency FMLA benefits? Two thirds my regular rate of pay for twelve weeks and just watch my kids, you know, online learning. You're being paid to babysit, yeah, yeah, pretty much, pretty much. So, so, so now we're going down a really good uh, avenue here because um, it's uh, wait a minute. The other avenues were perfectly fine. Don't discredit our previous avenues. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. An avenue I'm interested. Oh no, because then it would imply oh. I wasn't interested before. Jesus, oh. Christmas! All right, this is 16 minutes into the show. Okay, <laughs> okay. So no, this is so right now. Um, there's a lot of organizations that this time two months ago did not have the capabilities or the infrastructure to have a telecommuting workforce. In a matter of 30 to 60 days, they had to transform, not because they wanted to, they just had to, right? So where, whereas these organizations maybe a year before were saying, we don't have the infrastructure, we don't have the resources, Mother Nature kind of forced them to do so. So now you have a slew of managers, frontline managers and executives who may not know how to manage employees um, to work from home, especially the hourly folks. 
salary force is not that big of an issue. Well, I mean, yeah, I'm not saying it's not that big of an issue, but the people who are classified as hourly, non-exempt folks, um, you really got to be careful. Can you expand on that to the audience as far as why you would have to be careful? Now, our HR people know, but we do have some audience members who are not in HR. They should want to learn a little bit more about it. Can you expand on that? Sure. It's, it's really been, um, you know, it's, it, it's been sort of a evolving topic, right? Because um, I'm sure it's kind of funny because the terminology, you guys may have heard this, is, used to be BlackBerry overtime. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. Nobody has a BlackBerry anymore. At least oh, I hope. oh, Mark, <laughs> but, what are you talking about? <laughs> my razor is pretty yeah, good. Okay, my back. Motorola razor is spot on. <laughs> All right, Grandpa. So, um, <laughs> so um, the the BlackBerry overtime issue has been out there, right? It's you know some uh, in responding to an email at night. Um, they're entitled to get paid for that. So, you know, that's time at work. Um, And, you know, how do employers account for that? They've never been able to account for that, right? Unless the employee, you know, puts in a timesheet for the Mm -hmm. minutes that they were responding to the email on a Saturday afternoon. So that problem has now blown up, uh, you know, on steroids, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. That's really what the issue is uh, in terms of accountability. How do we account for the hours that people are working remotely? How do we keep track of it? How do we ensure that they are, in fact, working? Um, those problems are going to be uh, the, the, new, uh, the, the new dilemma for HR. Yeah. It's no doubt. I, I figured it out, Mark. I know exactly how we do it. We invest in technology to continuously spy on our employees. And we <laughs> dial into their computers and activate the cameras when they don't realize it. And we virtualize their machines so they're mapped to ours. So we know everything You're that genius, they're doing. Dude. And then we take You're over their routers so that like all traffic inside their home is something that we can see at work. There we go. 1984. There it is. Yeah. I guess yeah. it depends who you work for, though. Right? Yeah, that depends who you work for. <laughs> But yeah, but you know what, Mark? So so yes, that is one of those dilemmas, right? It, it, it's how do you how do you manage the time? How do you ensure your employees, your hourly employees, are doing what they're supposed to be doing? Now, on one side, yes, you do have to put some policies and procedures in place to make sure you mitigate that. On the other side, shouldn't you trust your employees though, right? If you educate them and you say, "Don't do this, don't do that." Have at it. Give me your timesheet at the end of the week. Shouldn't that be enough? I mean, I trust them if because I'm trusting them with my company. And if I don't trust them with my company, or excuse me, if I don't trust them with this timesheet, how can I possibly trust them with my customers? Well, you know, it's, it's like every HR policy you've ever written, right? They're not written for the people who you com- can completely trust, yeah. right? Because you wouldn't need policies if everybody was the perfect employee who you could trust implicitly. And so HR policies are written for the people who go off track. And, yep. And, you know, and that's, squeaky wheel guest agrees. That, right that reminds that. me of a, what was that? Uh, Tesla. Tesla came out with their uh, employer anti-handbook, I think that was, love over it. the past couple I months, right? That. And yeah. it was written just like you said, for the employees that are doing bad because everyone else is doing good. Can't agree with you right. more. Okay, let me right. springboard off with... Them? Ricky said, though, when we're talking about qualitative and quantitative Moneyball at the end of the day, right? Mm. You didn't, uh, when you watch that movie Moneyball, you're, you're watching a team get put together based off of 
analytics. You, you, you have stats. You have things that are building behind the scenes. And some employers may not have invested properly into the technologies, into the staffing for these build-outs, and they're hitting that stride right now. And they're going to get a lot better with it, of course. Is there value from an employer perspective, especially when we're talking about the potentials of, uh, you know, employment labor law? To have good quality analytics behind the data that you're receiving. Now, I'm not saying all the way down to the point where you're capturing how many keystrokes per minute per employee doing that data analysis over 12 months and comparing that to a standard that should be an expected bar, but it could be something of that nature. What What are your thoughts on analytics in this space? Yeah, well, <laughs> well, I'm a big baseball fan, so analytics is a is a is a, a raw nerve for me because uh, I'm I'm a little more of a traditionalist. So you know, <laughs> analytics it. analytics have value to a point, but you know, it's it's very difficult to measure quality uh, by analytics. I agree. So that look, I I think that you know there has been for a long time software that measures keystrokes, right? So that uh, you know those. Employers who have been um, uh, ahead of the curve, really, or at least ahead of this curve in terms of um, having a remote workforce, they've always been able to, if they wanted to invest in it, monitor when somebody is, you know, is using their their computer at home. Because, you know, when when remote work first started, um, and employers said, "Well, I know that they're at work because they." They're online. You know, I can see they're online. Yeah. Right? And then they realized, well, people are online, but at the mall, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. The mall. So, so that's the, so then the software developers came up with measuring keystrokes so that they knew how often somebody was touching their keyboard, but what they didn't know was what they were writing. Right. So yeah. it could have been, you know, they could have been chatting online with you guys, you know, nobody really knew what, what the, or rewriting their resume because they hate their job so much. Right? <laughs> oh, <laughs> they could be doing that. <laughs> exactly. But I, but I think at the end of the day, um, but I think at the end of the day, there is still going to be no substitute for quality. And analytics will get you only so far in being able to measure the effectiveness of remote work. So speaking of uh, of the remote workforce, uh, so let's uh, six months ago, right? Everybody said their regular job. You're driving to the office, right? Regular Monday to Friday job. Um, and from an HR, from from my point of view, um, we feel a lot of questions for people calling out sick. Oh, my got a headache, or it's FMLA, or I'm sick. And if we say, you know what? If you're sick, go ahead and stay home. They can still talk. They can still do what, what they need to do if it's a regular office environment, right? But what happens if you wake up, you're working from home, and you're sick? You just, you're kind of achy, you're sneezing. Hey, I'm going to call out. Why? You're home, right? So at, at what point does the same excuse to call out sick to go into the office, that's, at what point does it change for calling out sick when you're working from home, whereas your laptop is literally 10 feet away from you? Yeah, it's, it's a great question, and it is... I think something we're gonna that's gonna come out of this crisis that we're in now mm -hmm. is how much more of the workforce is gonna end up just being at home going forward. I think we're obviously when this is yeah. over, we're gonna see a lot more remote workforces than we ever have before because employers are now seeing it can work and and that it's gonna be um, you know probably in a lot of ways uh, savings. There's gonna be less um, office space you know that's gonna be needed. So. Um, 
the question is, and I think it's a it's a great one, is you know why can't you just jump on your laptop when you're when you got the sniffles and you're not feeling well? The other thing, you know, to that point, Ricky, is that people are now going to want their employees who are not feeling well to stay home. You know, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Because right, because now everybody's afraid of the guy who sneezes. Yep. And, and it doesn't matter, you know, because we don't we we don't know what what people have anymore, and yeah. they're symptomatic or asymptomatic, and they can spread the virus or they can't spread the virus. So I think we're going to be living in a much more paranoid work you know work environment where people are saying, "Don't come in, jump <laughs> <my glass." laughs> right? Don't come to the office, stay home." Picture Completely this. different than thirty days ago. Picture this though: in that future workforce on the other side of this hill, you hire someone on, and they've been driving for Uber for years. But now they have to sign a waiver stating that not only are they doing outside employment, but they're doing outside employment in a risky arena that could expose them to something that might bring it into the office. Who's shouldering that responsibility then, the employer or the employee? Yeah, yeah, that's a great point. And, um, you know, the uh, the EOC has uh, guidance, uh, pandemic guidance. And they enhanced it uh, last week for to deal directly with this issue. They had a 2009 EEOC uh, guidance for the uh, influenza pandemic mm. from 2009, H1N1. And um, one of the things they said was, what can employers do uh, in the hiring process in terms of asking questions, doing medical examinations post-pandemic? And one of the one of the points they made to your point, JC, is um, asking about risky exposures, uh, you know, before hiring mm-hmm. somebody. And, uh, and, and that's, a, you know, probably going to be the new norm is asking where people are when they're not going to be in their day job. And then, you know, and, and then the potential impact of ADA implications along the way, though, too, right? Exactly. And that's what the and that's what this yeah. addresses is, you know, what can you ask? Yep. Um, and and what medical exams can you um, you know, can you can you impose on an employee? I mean, I never thought yeah. see the day when the EEOC in compliance with the ADA is saying you can take an employee's temperature. Mark, I read that. And I'm and look, I'm not an attorney, right? But it's I consider myself to be well versed in HR, but by no means am I an an attorney. But I read that, and I'm thinking, oh my God, we are being given permission to exam associates. So I'm thinking, it's it's take their temperature orally, though, Ricky. I want to be clear about that. (laughs) Got it. (laughs) Got it. Got it. I was so not thinking the other way, but you got me thinking now. Got you. Um, no, the, so, the ear, Rick. The ear or the, the forehead. Ear, is that what it yeah. was? Oh, okay, got it. Yeah, right. Well, no, because if 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 any, I mean, I guess my advice would be to any employer that's going to do that is to hire a nurse. Do not give that as the 20% of the duties that's assigned to, to the <laughs> admin person. You don't have to, though, do you? I, no. You don't have to. But no. you should, be, No, though. but it could be caring and shipping. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. It needs to be nurse from down the street, care spot. Hey, how much do you charge an hour? No, give me your contract. I'll give you a 99 job. It doesn't need to be. It doesn't need to be. It literally could be the gardener. It could be anyone. Yeah, God, that just gives me the When employees man. return to know. work, okay, here's that. a quote for you. Go, 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 uh-huh. Going off of uh, what he brought to the table. When employees mm-hmm. return to work, does the ADA allow employers to require doctor's notes certifying their fitness for duty? 
Yes, such inquiries are permitted under the ADA, either because they would not be a disability related or if the pandemic influenza were truly severe, they would be justified under the ADA standards for disability related inquiries of employees. So it's not saying that you have to hire a nurse and have that nurse touch you in special spots with thermometers. It's just saying that you could ask these questions. No, no, you can. Yes. But I have seen organizations that they are checking. Right. So we have yeah. an, uh, an uh, Amazon shipping facility right down the street from my house and my neighbor works there and they're checking his te- um, um, everybody's temperature. You know, that little thing for the forehead yeah. as they come in. And I'm asking, well, is that person trained on how to use that? How do they know what to do? Who is that person? Was that Bob who was part time last week and they were going to get laid off? And now, hey, we got a job for you. No, I mean, it's they got to be some kind. They have to be. They have to have some kind of medical background, in my opinion. But you're right. The law doesn't say that's what you have to do. Okay, let, let, let's, I would just, let's springboard I would from just this. Hate, I would just hate for Bob from shipping to say, oh, my God, your temperature is 101. What happened? What kind of diseases do you have? And you go down a dark rabbit hole of questions. All right, so here, so here you go. So you fired Bob. Now, now you're under this COVID-19 umbrella and you need to hire a new Bob and you found a new Bob and you extend an offer of employment to new Bob to come and join the organization to help out. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. as, as a prescription of that onboarding process, Mark, could an employer require the employee to evidence medical information on the conditional offer of employment stating that they're, uh, during pandemic, I'm, I'm, I'm clear. I have no symptoms. Yeah, the the EEOC added that to the guidance on on uh, pandemic, you know, the time of pandemic hiring and post pandemic hiring, that um, the employee has to the prospective employee has to provide um, evidence that they are are, uh, are healthy and don't have any any um, COVID related symptoms or have not tested positive. So if Wait they do test positive, they could withdraw the offer then too. That's correct, and it's specific. That's one of the FAQs in this in the revised uh, in the revised guide so, from the EOC. So I was just right, interviewed Ricky, last week. <laughs> yeah, dude. Over you, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just interviewed last week, right? And then um, I, I'm not experiencing any symptoms. I'm not showing any symptoms, and that prospective employer can say, "Hey, I need you to get a, a doctor's note." So now. My doctor's office is just like you, extremely busy. They don't have time to fill out these notes, right? So yes. now, but the doctor says, I'm sorry, I'll give this to you in a month. Now I have to wait a month to get hired? Telemedicine. Come on. Right. Exactly. There's, there's ways to do this. this, is, this Web is MD. Do it. Got it. Got it. Like this. Web MD. And wear a mask if, we, if you do Zoom. <laughs> and pants. Uh, so <laughs> got it. So, you know what, if I can come back real quick, Mark, because it's, it's a lot of these things that I'm asking are things that I'm going through today. Right? And I am giving that advice, but I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not being, I'm going to be clear. I am uh, bouncing these off you. Right. But, and I get it. It's not a, it's not a uh, legal advice, but these are things that I start thinking about. So I've been working from home for about three weeks now. And then uh, I finish, uh, you know, doing my, uh, my thing for the morning. I go downstairs, make myself a sandwich. And I kind of cut myself a little bit, right? And I'm like, huh, is that work as comp? <laughs> Should I file for work as comp <laughs> right now? <laughs> no, but it begs the question, right? Because if we were at the office and if I had to be at the office, I would file that. If somebody got cut in the kitchen, I will file that 
on the workers' comp, and I'll let the third-party administrator decide it if it's legit or not, right? I still got to file it. But if you're at home, I don't know if the same thing would apply if you're not working, you're in your own time, you're not at the office, you are at your home, in your own kitchen, with the utensils you bought. Would we still file workers' compensation if I'm making a sandwich and I cut my finger and I'm working from home? Well, I want to know, did you eat that sandwich first? <laughs> I mean, look, I was but, starving, and it's uh, it, it's uh, some skirt steak from the night before that I barbecued. <laughs> so I'm not going to let that go to waste, brother. Yeah, so blood, blood and – yeah, blood and <laughs> I don't know. But no, um, you know, the it's a it's a good question because it's – and look, with so many people working from home, these things are absolutely going to yeah. But But that – situation you being down in your kitchen is the same as you going down the street at lunch hour and yep. get hurt in the parking lot uh, of the restaurant that you're going into right so that's not work so yeah. it would not be a workers comp claim but but one of the things i think is important for employers to be aware of is that there is osha guidance on home offices so yes so employers have to be conscious of circumstances in employees' homes that could put them in harm's way in the same way that they would if they were at work under OSHA guidance. Yeah, and, and <laughs> you'd be surprised how many people read that guidance and they take it the, they take it the wrong way. Now, um, this thing, what I want to tell you happened to me about five, 10, 15 years ago, previous, previous organization. I told JC this story, but I think you'll find it hilarious. Um, I did have um, somebody come to my office a couple of companies ago to let me know they wanted to file for workers' comp. And the reason they wanted to file for workers' comp is because, you know how when you go out on FMLA to have a baby, for the first six weeks or eight weeks, depending on what kind of delivery you have, that's considered a disability, right? Anything after that on their, on their FMLA um, is bonding for the child. But anyway, because the person read somewhere that if you become disabled because of something that happened at work, you can get work as comp. This person filed for work as comp because they were pregnant. And I'm questioning him. Why? Because the child was conceived at work. <laughs> yes. That's good. I and like I'm that. like, really? Wow. So wait a minute. There's got to be case law on this. this child There's with? got to be case law on this somewhere. There's got to be something somewhere. <laughs> And, wait, and wait. I and I would say this: wipe down the conference room. Yes, dude. <laughs> no, the first thing I asked is with who and where, and they were like, because because they thought that, oh my god, you know what? Yeah, this is a legit issue. This HR person is going down the rabbit hole to make sure we file a claim, and I'm like, no, I want to know where this happened and with who. She told me who, and she told me where. <laughs> I'm like, this is not work as comp. <laughs> it's not going to happen. It was that the is, funniest thing. They got fired. <laughs> that is an amazing story. Oh, dude. Yeah, it was. It was. It, it's. Yeah, that was a that's long a time classic. ago, but I love it. That, that's so, a classic. So speaking about working from home, um, it, it, it's now that uh, we are in unprecedented times. We're having issues. We're managing this workforce. I'm assuming there are some issues out there that managers and employees are seeing that they wouldn't uh, really consider if they were not working from home. For example, having these meetings like we are right now. Now the norm to meet more often now than before are happening via Zoom, via Skype, videos, and stuff like that. And if you're going to manage a, reward, a remote workforce, you have to have these meetings more often to ensure your associates are being engaged. So what kind of advice would you give your clients or your employers 
to help them manage a remote work workforce with these virtual tools that, that we have right now. Hashtag poor Jennifer. I, yeah. I, I, I would say one thing everybody needs to be aware of is, you know, that that circumstance, uh, which you guys probably know I wrote about last week. Yeah, I saw yeah. it. Yeah. I, saw it. I mean, what, you know, people just sort of forget what's going on when they're on these remote meetings and, you know, where Jennifer is the, you know, sort of the, the, the new, um, face of what can go wrong when you're not thinking through where you are and what you're doing with your coworkers on these meetings. So can you tell the audience what happened? Yeah, I was about to. So she, okay, picks, up, so she picks up her laptop, walks down the hall on one of these zoom meetings, um, puts it on the floor in the bathroom, takes her pants down and starts to do her business while she's online with her business. Yeah. So she, uh, caused a stir, um, obviously, uh, with a video that um, one of her coworkers, obviously not a very thoughtful coworker, yeah. uh, uh, put online. And, um, you know, like with most Zoom meetings, if you're in the gallery view, everybody can see everybody. And so her coworker saw this going on. Somebody was recording it. I don't know whether it was the coworker recording it or it was the employer that was recording it, but obviously uh, it, it, it got around. And there were a number of, you know, Obviously, it gave a little bit of comic relief to to everybody in a very stressful time. But then, of course, the the real employer HR concerns kicked in, which is, you know, first of all, there there was a boss on that call, right? Was the boss one of the people snickering as this was going on? And then, what did the boss do about it? Now, yep. you know, from my perspective as an employment lawyer for an, for employers, is I'm saying if the boss was on 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 that call and was one of the people who was snickering, that's just not a good look. And it's evidence. It's yeah, right. So yeah. that thing is forever. And all Jennifer has to do is say, my boss was laughing while my coworkers saw me, you know, saw this happening and nobody stopped it. Nobody did anything. No one shouted, Hey Jen, you know, or, um, what discipline occurred afterwards to those employees, uh, or at least the employee who recorded it and put it online. Uh, and, and, or, uh, to that manager that was leading that meeting, that, that leader during that meeting. Did they provide the proper training to Jennifer in that situation so that she knew how to use the equipment properly? And then the liabilities and the managerial risk that that's assumed from that as well. So devil's exactly. advocate, though, devil's advocate, though, right? Because that manager could not have possibly have known that was going to happen, right? So if the manager was there and the manager was snickering, is there a difference between an initial snicker and initial like, oh, my God, and then compose yourself or, oh, my God, and then you continue on with the badgering and allowing things to materialize? Is there a difference? Yeah. I mean, look, I, th I think that, yes, th this is uncharted territory. Yeah. I mean, how often is it that you're capturing live at that, <laughs> yeah. you know, a manager witnessing uh, an event that nobody ever could have foreseen. So, yes, I, I think that uh, while a a plaintiff's lawyer would make a make a really big showing to a jury that the that the manager was snickering, mm -hmm. real evidence. The really important thing is what happened after, yeah. and you know, how did that manager then reel things in? Because you know, can we really be held responsible for our you know, spontaneous facial expression when we see something that we weren't, you know, expecting. No, I mean, that's just not fair, but, but it could still be exploited in a lawsuit.
So, so you, so you write about this on your blog, on your website, and the website is uh, Kluger Healy, KlugerHealy.com under the uh, um, blog section. And I'm reading this, and you mentioned something that's really interesting. You say, and I'm going to quote, um, let's start with the recording piece. It sure beats taking notes, but might not be such a great idea. If you're doing, if you're going to do it, meaning recording, inform the group, uh, informing the group is important, though. In a dual consent state, call us if it doesn't make sense. You better get permission. Let's talk about that. Um, what do you mean by getting permission? Because I could say, hey, do you mind if I do this? And then they say no, or they don't say anything at all. Or you announce it, right? You say, I'm recording. And if they don't say yes or no, but they're still engaging in the conversation, you having that knowledge that is being recorded, is that, does that mean consent? Yeah, I mean, so is it implied consent if you participate? Let me just clarify for anyone who doesn't know the distinction between a dual consent. And yes, yes, please. So anytime there's a recording of a conversation, whether it's video or just audio, um, in single consent states, the only one who needs to consent to the recording would be anyone who participates, meaning if I'm doing the recording and I don't tell you I'm recording, that's okay in a single mm -hmm. consent state because I'm participating in the conversation. So I don't need your permission in a dual consent state like California, for example, both or all parties to the conversation need to affirmatively consent to it being recorded. So it cannot be recorded with just the knowledge of this, you know, a single individual. So in the case of a zoom meeting where you've got multiple people on the line, uh, you ask a really good question, which is if I say out loud as the manager, hey, I'm recording this this meeting um, and nobody says not OK with me and they go ahead and participate. Is that considered consent? The, the likely answer legally is yes. But <laughs> to to be cautious and careful as an employer, I would absolutely want it in writing from everybody. Yeah. One time. You know, it just has to be a one-time consent. We're going to, you know, from here on, we're going to likely be recording ah. meetings. Um, doesn't have to be every time. I would only do it once, but I would get everyone to sign something saying I'm okay with it. Got it. So in this particular situation, in the poor Jennifer situation, um, the, the thing I found odd is the video that we all saw was recorded on a separate device, which I found odd because I'm like, who... Who would record it on a separate device unless they knew something was going to happen? So I questioned that because I thought that was a Zoom meeting. In Zoom, you have the capabilities to record within the system. It just, to me, it, it's, I saw a red flag, right? I get all the legal implications, but it, I'm not saying it's stage. It just it smells like it because it, it's, somebody was recording it with a cell phone as if they knew something like that was going to happen. What are your thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, I mean, there are. I, I've been seeing online a bunch of conspiracy theorists like you. <laughs> What's saying, my tinfoil hat? <laughs> say, <laughs> saying that it may have been a setup. Yeah. Um, and and it, look, it very well may have. And frankly, it's it it it's doesn't matter though if it is because it provides yeah. it provides good information for employers yeah. and employees to think about, right? So whether yeah. it was a setup and we all fell for it or not, it's 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 really provided us a good illustration of things that employers and employees should think about in this era of these remote meetings. And you may have seen in that article, 
I also referred to a New York Post article where a Fordham professor yes. <laughs> went to a similar event, right, yeah. uh, during one of his remote classes. That was not a setup, apparently. No, it was not. <laughs> uh, you know, so some uh, young man stood up from the couch uh, naked behind a classmate, apparently, um, while she was on online during a class. So we know these things can happen. Yes, I agree. There was a possible setup here because why was somebody recording the Zoom meeting Before, yeah. phone? <laughs> you know, I, I actually, because I'm a purist, had a, an innocent explanation, which was he wanted to have a record of the meeting instead of taking notes. So he was mm. doing it that way. Didn't know whether the, uh, the employer was recording it or not. So just made his own recording so that he knew. You know, uh, there he, you go. Plausible. Okay. Plausible. Makes sense. Absolutely. So... If I'm set up to work from home, Mark, does it matter where my home is? I mean, I live 20, 30 minutes from the beach. Can I just set up on the back of my Honda CRV and just uh, go ahead and, and do my work from there with a Wi-Fi hotspot with uh, seagulls in the background? I, I don't think it makes a difference. unless It doesn't, right? Okay. No, it really doesn't. I mean, employers, you know, really shouldn't regulate where somebody's doing their remote work. But um, I would say the only caveat to that is if it's a distraction. So if, ah. if, if you're doing a zoom meeting and you know, there's, you know, if, if you're on the beach and there are the seagulls or more spring break. Yes, exactly <laughs> what I have in mind. Whatever. Spring break going on behind you. Yeah. A little distracted. A little bit. I get it. So JC, even, get to it. Dis- even to the most disciplined of us. <laughs> yes. <laughs> all right. So all this time we've been talking about employers and employees that are still working. So before we talk about employers that have shut their doors, let's talk about the employees for a second. Between the start of last week and middle of last week, a lot of people across this country were let go or mm-hmm. furloughed or temporarily laid off or involuntarily terminated. So many different terms. And a lot of employers, when we're talking about mom and pops, though, too, as defined under some of these rules, regulations, what's that now? 499 or less under FERCA, but then it could be defined something different somewhere else, what what a smaller business is, right? Um, they may not have the same resources as others, and they might not exactly know what to do, and they just tell everyone, stay home, and uh, you're not fired, but you'll come back, but I don't know when, but murky waters to navigate. Yeah. So. Breaking this apart into a couple different pieces before we talk about bringing this whole workforce back, which is where I'm going, Mark, because we're we're talking like near what seven million people so far that will be coming back into the workforce at some point. Yep. But before we get there, when they're letting people go, does an employer have to watch their language or make clear determinations in advance before saying, "Yeah, don't don't come in tomorrow"? Yeah, it's it's really been uh, the terminology has been fascinating um, in the different ways in which the message is being conveyed. And so when I first started getting questions about, am I laying people off? Am I furloughing them? Am I firing them? What am I doing? You know, that was coming from employers. Um, I started talking to them eventually when I realized how murky the terminology was. I started talking to them about what they actually wanted, what the message was that they actually wanted to convey. Right. So, you know, hang out. We think we may have work for you next week or hang out. We don't know how long this is going to last, but want you back when it's over. Yes. And so a lot of people started saying, what is a furlough? What is a layoff? Yep. What does it all mean? 
And, you know, I started out being very, you know, rigid about my definitions with employers, and I have abandoned ship on that for, for reasons I'll explain. Furlough really was a, it doesn't have legal significance. It's not a real legal term. It's something that the government has used over the years when there's no money to pay employees, and they say, we're furloughing you temporarily, you know, until we get the budget passed, right? Mm, yeah. The employees really been the ones and state employees have been the ones subject to furlough. You didn't really hear that terminology in the private sector. And the term layoff really is a term that comes from collective bargaining. Collective bargaining agreements have seniority provisions and a layoff is a temporary, uh, is, is a temporary circumstance under a collective bargaining agreement in which there are recall rights and recall, you know, layoff is reversed is, you know, uh, Last in, first out, right? And recall is most senior comes back first. That's what a layoff was. And um, employers over the years have sort of melded the term layoff as a sort of what they thought was a nicer way of saying you're fired hmm. and saying you're laid off. That's not really what it means, Le- you know, from a, a legal perspective. So, so far but, up to this point, we're talking about temporary leaves of absence. Correct. So, right. So the real, so right. So the real question is for some organizations, I'm sorry, for some, because not all, I'm glad Mark is breaking this down because not every organization is using that term interchangeably. That's right. Exactly. Well, they need to call an employment labor attorney like Mark and get that squared away because I'm telling you, this (laughs) is so critically important, especially as we move forward in this discussion. But please, Mark, back to you. (laughs) So thank you. Um, So, um, you know, so my question is, what do you want to convey? Where do you want your employees to be um, when this is all over? And so the message really is more important than the terminology, right? So if you want it to be temporary, then say you're, you're, you're on a temporary layoff, you're on a temporary leave of absence, you're on a temporary furlough. Just make it clear what you want. If you feel that, hey, we don't know how long this is going to be and we can't afford to, for example, keep you on benefits. And I want to talk about benefits because it's really important. Yes. yes. Um, then we're going to terminate you and, you know, good luck. Here's the unemployment office. Do what you got to do. Um, but likewise, and one thing we learned almost immediately to the, to the credit of most state governments is um, – the concept of it being temporary did not interfere with employees' ability to get unemployment, which, you know, in the past has been a problem because if in the employer conveys that the, that the, the reduction in work, the, uh, you know, the furlough, the layoff, whatever you want to call it, is temporary, that dis- often disqualified people for unemployment benefits because mm. the expectation of, of coming back. Yep, right. They wouldn't be able to get unemployment. So right away, uh, New York and New Jersey's uh, uh, departments of labor said, you can come, you can go right on benefits. Okay. And so employers need to, needed to be clear from the outset, whether it was, um, you know, temporary because they wanted to keep people on benefits or permanent so that they could issue them COBRA notices. Okay. So staying on benefits um, really has become probably the most important distinction that employers needed to make. I'm sorry. It's and I'm being serious. Did you say COVID notices or Cobra notices? Cobra. I'm sorry. Got it. Cobra. Got it. Okay. I'm yeah, like, yeah. wow. There's COVID notices. They didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, there, so there will be. So to that, then, if if an employer is heading down the path of layoff, quote unquote furlough, officially temporary leave, 
reasonable expectation of employment. You may be asked to come back. We want you to come back. We don't know if we're even going to be in business, but you're so critical to us, but we can't do this right now. We, we have to shutter the doors. Everyone's staying home. There is no, no, no pay. In that layoff temporary leave situation, COBRA is involved. We're, we're still covered under health insurance plans. Just focusing on a, a temporary leave perspective and then moving into that termination perspective and the impact of COBRA and medical and everything in between. Yeah, so, so the, the real dilemma had always been up until probably last week, or the real dilemma in a, in a temporary reduction of hours is it's a COBRA trigger. So employers right. are not allowed to keep inactive employees on their benefits as though they were active. So, and that comes from two places. One, it comes from COBRA, but it also comes from the, the health insurance policies themselves. The health insurance policies all have an actively at work provision mm-hmm. that employees to be covered by health insurance have to be actively at work. And that, that is literally the terminology. When you're not actively at work, it's a COBRA trigger. The reason people on FMLA are allowed to stay on health insurance for 12 weeks is because FMLA specifically said it's an exception to the COBRA trigger. Yeah. It said it in the legislation. So what we were faced with immediately with people going on these furloughs, layoffs, whatever you want to call them, where the employer's intention was to bring them back as soon as they possibly could was do they need to issue a COBRA notice because it's a COBRA trigger when somebody is on an inactive status and the policy doesn't allow them to be on there. Right. The solution has been coming from the health insurance carriers themselves. Okay. Many of the large carriers have begun to issue uh, notices to, their, uh, to the plan administrators saying that they will waive the actively at work provision in the policies to allow employers to keep the employees on the policy, although they're in inactive status. Yeah, because I mean, could you imagine during a pandemic where people need medical attention? Now you're cutting benefits as well, and not only cutting benefits because if COBRA goes out, it doesn't necessarily it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't have benefits. It means that you now have to pay 102 percent of the price of it. So, so is it <laughs> just like is crazy. it safe to say though that the under under cares? where the employers were uh, able to file the new 7200s with the IRS and and uh, move towards advanced payment of employer credits due to COVID-19. This is also going to assist in the continual payment of some of that process if a health insurance company has not waived or or furloughed their payments <laughs> during that time, right? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, because, right, so the, the, the next dilemma, now, now that we've found out, okay, so the carriers are being really great and cooperative about allowing employees to stay on while inactive, but that doesn't mean the employer doesn't still have to continue to pay the premium. And yep, so, right. you know, so that's the next thing. So, yes, the CARES Act is helping with that, as is the uh, payroll protection program, which will provide funds for tax credits, really, for fund for employers to continue to pay the premium. I just want to pause right there just very quickly before we get into those that have been terminated, though, because this part here, we've all seen the memes over the past few weeks. $2.2 trillion. Every household in America, there's this many households. My house should be getting paid $72,000 and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, wait a minute. There's there's more to this story you don't understand. This is This is part of that more end of the story, right? 
But Bob, hold on, JC. That's true. Could you imagine if that happened? If everybody got seventy-two grand in three months, a loaf of bread would be eighty-eight dollars, right? <laughs> a gallon of milk it will be one hundred and eighty dollars. I mean, not, who wouldn't want Rick, that? Rick, Rick, Rick. It's not actual money, even though it's money that's being printed. It's not money that that is being placed into the realm of inflation whatsoever. These are credits. It's Bitcoin. Yeah, I know. Bitcoin. It, I got uh, okay, sure. <laughs> you know what? Next, let's talk about the comment that's coming around how this whole staying at home is a 5G conspiracy too. You're killing me right now. You're killing me. All right, Mark, <laughs> over to the other end of it all, the terminations. Ricky, I'm working hard for your laughs today. The termination right. side of the house. So as an employer, we're at that, we're at that justification point. It's been two weeks. We're hypothetically a restaurant. An old Italian restaurant, a beautiful restaurant, a very big restaurant, some of the best sauce in this restaurant. And when you come to this restaurant, everyone knows this place. And this place, for the first time in 120 years, is going to have to close its doors because they don't feel that they can adequately Mm. provide six feet amongst people and maybe prepare food the right way or take care of the people the way that they want to. And during this process, they're starting to fall behind, too much far behind. They see a 350% reduction in the amount of money. I'm making this up, by the way, in the <laughs> amount of money that they're making. Okay. And they're, they're reaching that point where they're like, I can't, I can't carry the full staff that I had to. On the backside of this hurdle, I may as well start over. Let's go ahead and let people go. We're going to terminate them. And they're off the hook then from the employer perspective for anything medical from that point forward. And there's other ramifications too, right? That's right. But by the way, down here, that that sauce is called gravy. Oh, man. <laughs> I love See, this guy. There's the soprano reference again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. so, yes, I mean, in that, like, uh, unfortunately, JC, that's really that's where this is going. The longer this lasts, um, the longer employers are going to pull the plug and just say, I'll start over and, um, you know, cut my losses. And those losses would include health insurance costs. Now, Ricky, I know you had some thoughts on this one, and I know that you were just bent over petting the dog, so I'm padding time so that you could come back to the mic. I wasn't. <laughs> Mark, he has an emotional support dog. He stays in his office. He's got some issues. It's good, though. Um, No. Emotional support gator and llama. Get it right. So, no, I don't. I'm just <laughs> I don't. You know what? No, actually, my my it's this whole layoff, this whole furlough, this whole active benefits thing. It's it's. It's weird because you would think with everything happening, you would be able to anticipate which companies are actually laying talent off. Obviously, um, we're seeing that right now. There's a lot of regulations in the different orders through the states that make a, uh, a case of what is a critical resource. Obviously, gas stations, uh, hospitals, um, and other specific businesses. But I got to Funny question, then a serious one. Here's here's the funny slash serious one, though. Um, I'm really curious, Mark, and hopefully you can help me this. Help me with this. At what point is a liquor store considered a critical essential business? I I I I need somebody from the legal world to explain that one to me. Well, uh, in New York and New Jersey, on the list of uh, retail that's allowed to be open, liquor stores are there. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. I don't know whether that's. I don't know whether that's a universal uh, determination, but certainly in New York and New Jersey, it is. It is in Florida. I think. Okay, so there you go. So, uh, so you know, this is. Uh, I'm. I'm just as qualified as you guys are to answer this question. But Ricky, <laughs> down in Florida, <laughs> like, 
this is the funny part to me. Like anytime I head down there, Mark, I don't know about you, but you get off the plane, you get in that Uber taxi, your buddy picks you up, you take a ride, you're two blocks away from the airport, and you instantly see one building that says liquor, guns, ammo, and massage. Yes. I'm like, well, wait, where did I just land? What's happening here? The entertainment mecca of the world. That's where yeah. you just landed. Yeah, that's, that's a combination I'm not all that comfortable with. You know, <laughs> ammo over here to me. Come yeah. on down here, Mark. We'll show you a good time, brother. Uh-huh. We'll show yeah. you a good time down here. <laughs> so I, I want to go to the other side of the hill. I want to go to the other side of the hill on this and then move the topic back over to you, Rick. Here's the reason why, Mark. Uh, if we go to fastcompany.com and we just go back to the month of January, they did a fantastic piece, and it was all about rehiring employees. And they did ask you some questions in this one. And they specifically asked, you know, under that umbrella of why did an employee leave? And they stayed here hiring back an employee. And and, and the reason I'm bringing this up, because I'm sure that there's going to be some slight changes here uh, in in the thought process to the future of this whole thing, right? On the other side of this hurdle, hiring back an employee who's gone out into the world and gotten some new experience or made some notable achievements could offer some benefits, says Mark Kluger, founding partner at the management side employment law firm Kluger Healy. But if the reason the employee left was involuntary termination, you'll obviously want to think about the circumstances related to that action. Quote, anytime somebody has term- been terminated, there's presumably good reason for it. End quote, Kluger says. Other times, employees leave because they think the grass is greener somewhere else. If that's not the case, they may return with a new appreciation for the company. We could extrapolate that into our current situation. I'm sure it still fits to a point, but you might, would you have different advisement just a little bit, given the current circumstances under COVID-19? Yeah, um, you're trying to get me to contradict myself there, aren't you, Jason? <laughs> Um, well, well the, the, the paradigm's but, changed. The, everything's yeah. changed for all of us. The DOL guidance has changed. There's new information from EEOC as we were talking. Everything is just this. Your advisement before was spot on. It was amazing. But this world is so different and we're all trying to navigate it. Absolutely. I, look, I mean, there's no question that people who are losing their jobs today are not losing them based on the merits of their performance. They're losing them because the employer can't continue and either because they can't continue as a result of uh, executive orders forcing them to close or they can't continue because they're not part of a uh, supply chain that can continue to to function without, you know, the supplies they need, whatever the reason is, or because there are no customers or because there's no income, all the reasons that we're all seeing job loss today. And that's really, that's just not on the merits. So those employees who are being terminated outright, not being told, hey, sit on the sidelines, we'll bring you back, may not necessarily have anything to do with the merits at all. And so when it comes to, you know, uh, the, the economy coming back and employers now needing to to gear up and rehire, I would say nothing is off the table in terms of who who should be rehired. Depending how long this goes, Mark, could you see could you see it where a certain fraction of these employers, as we said before, may unfortunately never open the doors again. There may be impacts and ripples of this that radically change that day to day life in ways that we can't even yet fully comprehend. But are there any timelines that an employer should consider if they if they do specifically say you've been placed on temporary leave? It's been 120 days now. It's been 240 days. Is is there timelines they should consider for temporary leave? And is there timelines on maybe bringing someone back if it's been 
a year, two years, 10 years, or does any of that even matter? Yeah, I, you know, it's it's a really good question. And, uh, you know, obviously we're all speculating as to what's going to happen. But when, when it first hit, one of the first things that the Departments of Labor in New York and New Jersey did was they said, uh, because you may know that for unemployment, you have to be actively looking for a job, right? So that's one of the criteria when you're collecting unemployment is you have to show the Department of Labor on a weekly or biweekly basis everything you've done to try and get employment. So the first thing they did here in New Jersey was they said, that's suspended for eight weeks. You can collect unemployment without actively looking for work for eight weeks. Okay, so that was the initial timeline that was set in the in the minds of the Department of Labor. And so, you know, when I said to employers, okay, make sure everyone understands how to apply for unemployment and make sure they understand if you want them back, make sure you they understand they don't have to do anything. They can just yeah. put their faith. unemployment. Good right. faith all the way around. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, in terms of, you know, when the economy starts coming back, when, you know, when we're released from, you know, from uh, the restrictions of being able to go to work and to travel, um, you know, one of the things that has been of concern to me is, while we have currently a payroll protection program, which will allow us to pay, keep, you know, employers have the ability to borrow this money from the SBA, small employers do, to keep employees on payroll for up to three months. That's what it looks like it's going to play out to be. So through June, um, when it's time to retool, to start up again, um, one of my concerns is um, what are employers going to use to pay employees that they're bringing back. Because as we all know, um, even once you're back in business, it doesn't necessarily mean that you've got the income to pay the employees. And are we going to be asking employees to come back to work on good faith that we're going to pay them when we get the money? I mean, the three of us know that that's a violation of the wage and hour law, but what, you know, but what... (laughs) But, but as a practical matter, is the government then going to lend employers money again so that they can pay people to come back to work? And that's a really frightening potential scenario. It's almost like uh, trading off your draft picks for future years, right? Like how far do these <laughs> credits go? You know, I mean, uh, you file the forms with the IRS, the credits apply to oh next year. Well, next year after that, too. Next thing you know, you just finance the next decade, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I was... um. I was reading a story in the Orlando, in the Orlando Sentinel this morning, and I'm trying to find it now. Um, something that's kind of hidden home too. Um, you would think that with all this happening, you can put a pretty good bet that all organizations are practicing whether layoffs, temp layoffs, furloughs, whatever the case may be. One field that you would think it's exempt from that is a medical field, and I'm starting to see in uh, in the uh, in the media outlets that a lot of nurses and nurse case managers are being laid off now. And it's weird to see that now. My wife is a nurse case manager. She was given notice last week that they're going to do some flexing with schedules to pay them less to furlough part of their pay because their census is going down. Now, this is it's interesting because uh, uh, I started looking into that and researching that more, and I found a lot of people on Twitter, ER doctors, ER doctors that are scaling back on hours because the ERs are empty. And I took a snapshot of his tweet, so I'm going to read it real quick. Hold on. The tweet says, I'm an ER physician. This is happening all over the country. The ER volumes have plummeted because people are not out and about getting injured and sick from anything other than COVID. It's really strange. So 
Now they change their whole intake system and say, this ER is for COVID. Here's the COVID people. This ER is for everything else. But everything else isn't happening because nobody's out and about. And it's, it's weird because you would think they need all the help they can get. Why not reroute that talent and put them somewhere else? It, it, it's just I'm starting. I just started seeing this um, over the weekend because my wife came home and said, hey, what do you think about this? They're thinking about furlough rentals. And I'm like, what? So have you heard of that, Mark? Uh, well, you know, where I am, we're not having that problem. Um, no. Because no. The ERs and every every aspect of the hospitals um, up here in the New York, New Jersey area are just jammed. But I'm seeing it in in the ambulatory care environment, which mm-hmm. is really, you know, the other aspect of healthcare, which is, you know, the you know the non-essential, non-emergent forms of healthcare. And I hadn't heard, and it's an interesting point that no one's getting injured. You know, no one needs stitches, or well, except for you cutting your finger with. <laughs> but, I'm a man. Uh, I rub salt on it. I'm good. Yeah. <laughs> oh. but, but, you know, but I mean, it makes sense, right, that other people are, um, you know, not busy in the medical field. I mean, certainly dentists are have all uh, let go of their staff. Oh, I didn't but, even think about that. Look at yeah, that. Yeah. Right, because, you know, that's among the more dangerous kinds of things. Yes. Age in right now. Wow. Wow. Well, see, I didn't did not even think about that. Folks, we live in a world that liquor store owners are making money left and right and ER doctors are being furloughed. What the hell is going on? <laughs> I mean, seriously, but it, it's it's it it is scary, and it is changing the way everything it, everything is going to be in the next six weeks. So, my question to you: What are you telling? Because I'm pretty sure you're being asked. Like, what do we do? What do we do now, Mark? What do we do with our employees? Because exactly what you said for the people for the organizations that are barely making ends meet that flow has to come in first so they can meet payroll. So for those folks, what is your advice to them now? Well, you know, we, we sort of have two interesting dynamics going on because we do have some employers that are working, that have plenty of work, and that that work is um, face-to-face work, can't be done remotely. And I'll talk about mm-hmm. that in a second. For the employers who have got either everyone working remotely, and, you know, there are some employers we represent who are doing that, they're okay. The employers who are just waiting it out, we're telling them, you know, here's the payroll protection program, go for that, go for SBA loans to try and make sure that you have the cash. And one of the things that's interesting about the CARES Act is um, right now everyone's sort of focused on the the PPP. We're getting all these new acronyms, right? Mm-hmm. FRA, PPP is the payroll protection program. So people are focused on that right now because that program went live really yesterday. Mm-hmm go live on Friday. It really went live yesterday with the banks having the applications. Yeah. That's going to give employers money for three months of payroll as long as they don't lay anyone off, meaning they can still sit home. You just have to pay them through the payroll. Um, and the way I look at that is it's really just a different form of unemployment. It's just the government taking the money from this pot and putting it in that pot, that pot being the employer's pot, so that the employer can use it to pay for health insurance benefits. You can use it for that. You can use it for payroll as long as you use 75% of it for payroll purposes, mm. you're okay. The, but the other thing that hasn't yet really sort of taken off, um, but I think employers should focus on, is the other forms of SBA loans that are available through the CARE Act because very low interest rates, 
you can borrow a lot of money mm-hmm. um, as long as you have uh, some collateral. Collateral, yeah. You know that can and that can be company equipment. It can be the building. It could be your house if you're you know a small business owner. But the purpose in my mind for that money, that pot of money, is you know take it, put it in a in a savings account somewhere, and save it for the days when you're going to be able to there bring you employees back. That's that's how I'm looking at. It. S- save it. Don't invest it. Do not put it in the market yet. Don't put anything in the market yet. That's so scary right there. Oh my god. You guys see those numbers day to day. Not if it keeps going down, oh, right? Once yeah. you see that uptick, then Could you imagine spending like crazy. You get a loan from SBA, you get like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. You start, you throw it in the market, and now you just lost a hundred grand overnight. Ay, oh, and, and that money, and that money is not a forgivable loan. That that loan has to be paid back. So no bankruptcy court can protect you from that one. No, not no. stupid. <laughs> so. No. so, so um, so then the other side of the coin, though, is the employers that we have that are working and um, in, in industrial settings. So, we, you know, we're looking and talking to manufacturers who are in businesses that are either essential directly or they're supplying essential businesses. So uh, making, you know, medical supplies or um, DOD related uh, businesses yeah. and those companies are allowed to work. And the problem that they're facing, and this is really a good deal of the questions we're getting, um, is they have a workforce. They're trying to keep people six feet apart. Some of them work assembly lines. So they're spreading out the assembly lines to try and keep people as far away from one another as possible. That's one of the obligations they have, these executive orders that allow them to continue to work, is to still maintain uh, social distancing. To provide them with, while they can't necessarily get PPP in a factory, they do. They are able to get masks, dust masks, whatever masks they yeah. can, try and keep people healthy. But what has started to happen is because of community spread, not necessarily through the workplace, but through their own families, their own neighborhoods, people are starting to get the virus, and then employers are obligated to notify coworkers. Hey, you may have been exposed to somebody who has who had the virus with somebody who worked here. Now, obviously confidentiality prohibits the employer from naming names, but if it's somebody who works in your department, I'm telling employers, let the people in that department know because they've had close contact with somebody who's, who has the virus and they're <laughs> obligated to know. They're going to know as well. Hey, I, I just showed up. Karen's not here on shift. Where's Karen? Where's Karen been all week? You know? Yeah, but they didn't hear from know. you. Yeah, but they didn't hear from you. They can put two and two together all they want. You didn't tell them. They came up with that assumption. But what he's saying is it's okay. We have to inform people. No, wait. No, it's okay it, to let no he, it's okay to let the He said it's okay to let that it, 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 specific nope. crew know mm-hmm. because that's the people directly affected. Right? Correct. Yes, just not names and don't get don't give any specifics any more than you have to. As long as you met your responsibility of informing the associates of their contact, you've you fulfill your responsibility. If you go above and beyond that, you start going into hippo waters and you don't want to go there. Right. So th- and that's what I'm telling them is just don't name names. It doesn't matter if everyone knows it's Karen. Mm-hmm. Um, because they sorry, were- Karen. Yeah, you're 100 <laughs> percent right. What happened to Bob, by the way? Where did he go? It, it, he, he got fired, remember? He got fired for cutting his That's finger because right. I don't want the workers' comp liability. He used to be in shipping. Great guy. <laughs> but but the, <laughs> he was lousy at taking temperatures, though. But That's the right. wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But what, what's, of course, the, the impact of once you start telling people that they've been exposed or that their coworker has tested positive is people are reluctant to come to work. And so while you've got employers who have work for them, um, they're starting to get high degrees of absenteeism yeah. simply because people are afraid to show up. And we still slam them with the attendance policies. Well, we can. <laughs> And, uh, <laughs> or not <laughs> yeah for all the good it's going to do because right. you know so the you know the departments of labor statewide have been clear that um if you're afraid to come to work um you know you may qualify for unemployment anyway um mm-hmm. and though normally we would say and i think this is where you're heading ricky is that's abandonment right i mean you're in mm-hmm. your job you're not sick Okay, you're not taking care of somebody who's sick. You're just afraid of getting it, so you don't show up for work, even though your employer has work for you. Mm-hmm. And normally, I would advise an HR professional. That's a job abandonment. You can go ahead and you know put that person on on the, the termination list, right? Yep. But even if you do that, um, I don't believe the state departments of state departments of labor are going to um, deny that person unemployment. Back. Yeah, I doubt it. Not 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 with everything happening. But we got to be careful, though, right? Because as business leaders, we got to make sure that um, we don't put a blanket policy just as a knee jerk reaction, right? So, so what I'm telling my different teams, I'm just letting them know um, if they call out, let's let's engage in conversation. Let's find out exactly what's going on. Don't come across condescending. Come across caring. Hey, how are you? How are you feeling? What's going on? Where have you gone? And if they say, no, I just, my car just doesn't work. All right. This doesn't qualify. You get a point, right? But if somebody says, ah, God, I've got these symptoms and I'm like, you know what? Stay home. You're hundred percent right. Go ahead and stay home. Don't do anything. The attendance policy is not going to apply because as soon as you say attendance policy is suspended, you're going to lose a lot more people because they just because Wu-Tang Clan is in town, right? And they're violating the uh, the stay-at-home order, but they still want to have their con- their concert and we I want we want to go to the concert, right? Um god, I want to see Wu-Tang now. Sorry. I just was listening to Wu-Tang earlier this morning. But yeah, but I guess what I'm saying is is that is it is it a good idea to throw out a blanket policy or should you have these attendance po- conversations on a case-by-case basis? I I think you absolutely have to have the conversations and among the reasons is this. If somebody says, I'm afraid to come to work, you want to know why they're afraid to come mm-hmm. to work. Is if they fall into one of the immune compromised categories, they have ADA protection. So if they say, hey, I'm diabetic or I'm, you know, I'm 65, um, the CDC is saying those people are immune compromised automatically and they, and they have job protection. And, and also do not forget about your other policies. If somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm afraid to come to work, and you ask why, and they're like, oh, because Bob is sexually harassing me. Yeah, but are you healthy? Yeah, okay, you're good. Don't worry about it. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And you ignore what happened with Bob. <laughs> that still applies. Don't forget about those other sexual harassment policies that you're responsible for. And um, I say that because that actually happened. So, yeah, had somebody call, and manager's like, oh, okay, you're good. And I'm like, no, they're not good. We have to investigate what happened. <laughs> Let's conduct the investigation. <laughs> so, you know, what, you know what, though, Ricky, these days I'd be so happy to have a sexual harassment investigation. On yeah, my- you know what? Yes, <laughs> you're under because that we know how to handle, right? We know how to handle that. We know if you're a creep, you're going to get fired. But if you got the COVID, you got the Rona, we don't know what's going to happen at that point. That's what they call it. That's what the kids call it the Rona, JC. I see that face. The Rona. 
I understand. I understand your words in the English language. I'm just not <laughs> appreciative of them right now. That's fine, Rick. It's good. The Rona. Listen to you. The Rona. Here's right. here's why I say it that way. And, and I I want to just shift gears real quick here, just for a touch. Um, the perception of the current situation is so drastically different across the entire listener base of this program, across the entire country. What someone's experiencing in Montana right now is night and day different to Orlando, which is also night and day different to New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and Massachusetts and, and those state troopers house to house in Rhode Island. You know, it's uh, there's a lot going on up here. Mark, you are literally in the hotbed of the pandemic for the entire world right now. The entire world. There's more cases in New York. There's more activity and positive testing and, and uncertainty and, and, and fear, yet also strength at the same time. It's so, so drastically strange, all happening at once, right where you live, right where you are. How are you? How's your world right now? Like, seriously, how's, how's that day-to-day shift been? Where are you in, in the sense of things? Is, how's, how's everything going? Yeah, things are, you know, things are good for me. Um, you know, I'm safe and uh, all my family family members are safe. And uh, I would say that in terms of, you know, my personal reaction to this is I feel very fortunate that I've got this work to do. Yeah. Because it's really, you know, it's it, there are a lot of people who, who are not engaged. Um, yeah. but we're able to be engaged in what we do. Um, and that I think is helping with the mental health aspect of being surrounded by bad news every day. Yep. Um, seeing, you know, death tolls on a daily basis on the news, seeing, um, our, our leaders, uh, on, on TV telling us that we are not yet at the worst of it and it's coming and we don't have enough ventilators to keep people alive. It's, you know, very, mm. uh, it, it can be overwhelming emotionally, um, I mean, literally within my town, um, you know, four people have died. Um, you know, I live oh, in wow. town. Um, and, uh, you know, and every day people are saying, you know, identifying others who we know, you know, uh, who, who are sick. And so hearing that can be, uh, you know, pretty devastating if that's all your focus is. I've been fortunate personally to be able to uh, as you know, as much as I joked about it at the beginning, to have 880 pages of legislation, I need to understand and learn mm-hmm. yeah. because it really is keeping me uh, feeling useful and distracted at the same time. You know, I, I uh, years ago uh, used to go up to Jersey with a buddy of mine that I was in the Marine Corps with, and and wake up in Bergenfield, and then head down. Uh, West Palisade to East Palisade, and along the way, you know, get a, get a nice bagel uh, sandwich. With the, with the ketchup, you got to get the ketchup with it, though, too, and head down to the end and get a good view down at the park and, and looking over the water, right, and and having that experience. Like, these small things day to day, is the guy on the corner still open? Is is that shop that you might have as part of your routine to get your coffee still, still even there? Like, what are some of the changes in your day to day? Like, are you literally confined to your home? Yeah, not literally, but um, I'll tell you one thing. I live in a small town, but I feel like I live in a city because I'm sitting at, a, at my house is on a corner. I've got windows on both sides. Mm. I the People are just walking. That's all there is to do. People yeah. are just walking. 
you know, I think dogs are hiding under the couch from their owners. <laughs> we're done. We're walking. Leave me alone. But um, a lot of things are closed, and um, really, the only thing that's that are consistently open are the supermarkets. And, and I have to tell you that um, I, I was personally surprised at what a um, what an odd experience it was to go into supermarkets. Um, I've gone in the last, you know, a uh, couple of weeks, once a week yeah. myself, um, started out with, you know, one guy maybe wearing a mask, you know, and everyone kind of looking at him going, that's weird. Why is he wearing a mask? Right. Mm-hmm. So yesterday I went and everybody was wearing a mask and people were just looking at the one guy who didn't have a mask. Yep. <laughs> looking at you. <laughs> right. I had a mask, but, but, <laughs> But it, but it's creepy because people are looking at each other. Yeah. You know, it's just like a, it's a stressful environment. People do not want to be around one another, and everybody pausing and staying back from one another. If somebody's looking at a, an item on the shelf, yeah. um, the shelves are not as empty as they were the first few weeks. That was mm-hmm. a frightening look. Was yeah. literally going to grocery store and seeing virtually nothing there. But now the, the shelves are are more full. But the people's interactions with one another is creepy. Yeah, you know, I and totally agree. And it's 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 thank you for saying that piece, especially with the supermarket shelves. Yeah, it's it's scary to see that they were empty, because again, people were just freaking out. And 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 for the people who don't know how it works, it's it's not that they're out of product. It's that the organizations, their supply chain strategy was not expecting this. Right. So the products are there. They're just not getting to the stores quick enough. And that 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 absence of product frees people out even more and increase more anxiety. So I'm with you. And 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 yesterday, my wife's son and I just went for a drive because we, we were getting cabin fever. And Jason's going to get tired of hearing this, but we love Disney. Disney's close. It's 20 minutes away. We're like, let's take our time on the way back from going to the supermarket and do a little, you know, re, uh, um, uh, detour. And we drove on property. It, I've never seen such that place as empty in all the roads and downtown Disney Springs. It's just, it is eerie. A place that for the entire time I've lived here, over 20 years living here, I've never seen that empty. Even when, when, even when my wife and I do the uh, marathons and we're there at 4.30 in the morning, there's still 20,000 people there, <laughs> right? Oh. right? But right now, it's just so weird, and all these birds are all over the place. It really looks like something out of an apocalyptic movie. And how to deal with that going forward, I think, is going to be the issue. Things are changing. Mark, last night, and I sent this video to uh, to uh, JC, one of the things I love to do on a weekend is just pop open the grill, get a couple of beers, have some good music in the backyard. That is my thing. I love doing that. So I'm normally, you know, just streaming music to my big speaker and my neighbors love it because, you know, it's, it's a lot of music. But I started noticing some trends. There's a lot of Facebook groups and events, whereas people who are DJs, people who are performers who normally would go to a venue that now they can't, they're adjusting what they do. And now they were hosting DJ parties from their homes yeah, Rick, and just blasting wait, the music. Just wait, though. Wait for the uh, digital uh, copyright lawsuits to uh, propel on the yeah. back end of that <laughs> True, one. True, yeah. You know? I mean, they've been hammering podcasters about digital copyright and digital use and reuse and broadcast and all this forever. But, it's going to come down the same way on these people having digital the lawyers, parties. The lawyers ruin everything. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Always, always. Thanks, right? Mark. <laughs> you and your buddies. Kidding, but wait a minute. But well, hold on. How is that any different than them going to the show like at a club? Wouldn't the scene rights apply? I don't want to go too far down the rabbit hole. Okay, but if it. like right. a DJ is playing somebody else's music yeah. and they didn't pay, they pay the proper rights for that music, mm-hmm. for the release of that music in the in the channel and avenue that they're doing it. Mm-hmm. There's a whole series of things that go along with that. Hey, uh, real quick, uh, we're getting close on time right here. Mark, would you like to stick around for some current events? Sure. Why not? Because it's that time. That's right, current events today. First article is coming from the (laughs) Washington Post. I love those kids. They crack me up every time. So first article here for the Washington Post. Uh, This was dated just over this past weekend here in the business perspective section. Can my employer force me to go to work? The boss wants employees to volunteer to continue working, but won't pay if they don't. So in the article written by Carla L. Miller, columnist, dated April 2nd, 2020, so just a few days back there, uh, she states that someone is working at a dispensary. My boss has us doing curbside orders. He doesn't want to shut down. He still has bills to pay. He says that if we want to leave, then we can, but he can't guarantee we will still have our jobs. What should I do? I have a child. She takes uh, input from a whole bunch of different readers, and she does respond back here. Uh, Earn a living or protect uh, you and yours. It's not as simple as finding another job unless you can do remote work. Most current hiring uh, hiring is happening in delivery and healthcare, where risk of exposure to the virus is high. And with record numbers of people newly out of work, competition is stiffer than ever. Fortunately, some new laws enacted in response to the pandemic may help those choices easier uh, for employees and employers. So a lot of softballs, good article, just kind of goes into the different acts and whatnot. But the title of the article is what grabbed me, and I want to hinge in on that and uh, toss this over to the two of you just real quick. Uh, picture it like a 60-second dissection. Can an employer force you to go to work voluntarily uh, with that hope of paying you later? <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> Can you do this voluntary if I tell you to do it? WashingtonPost.com, bro. <laughs> I didn't write it. it I, would like, I would like to know what kind of dispensary it is. Oh, yeah. we all oh. know what kind oh. of dispensary it is. <laughs> right next to the chocolate shop. Yeah, you know health, food. health food dispensary, <laughs> of course. Of uh, all right. It, it, it's uh, Mark. Do you mind if I throw the HR answer and then you throw the legal answer? Thanks. That works. All right. Uh, it's all about the conversation you're having with the employees, right? If the employee does not want to come in, you got to engage in conversation and find out why they don't want to come in. If it's a legitimate reason that has to do with what's happening today, it would be hoover of you to let the person stay at home. Now, you don't have to pay them depending on what state. I don't know if there's any sick laws or in the state, but you allow them to stay at home. Now, the conversation is crucial, right? Because you don't know if there is an ADA reason why they're staying home. So you got to have that dynamic dialogue. So it depends on a case-by-case basis. Mark? Yeah, no, I think you nailed it, uh, Ricky. The The ADA is sort of the top top thing on my mind with that mm-hmm. kind of, uh, I, I don't want to come to work. So if you check that off the list and it's just generic, uh, I don't feel like coming because I want to... Um, avoid contact with people that it, that isn't enough although you raise a really good point which is um earn sick leave may kick in mm-hmm. um under new jersey law 
they, the Department of Labor has already said that in that circumstance, an employee would be entitled to use their earned sick leave for the days that they don't come to work simply out of fear that they may mm. catch something. Now, we're talking about 40 hours maximum that employers are obligated to give. So it's not going to last more than a week, but that's, you know, that is checking the box on eligibility is if they're afraid to come. Got it. The second story today is coming from the ladders.com. Title of the article written by Tim Denning. An HR person declined me with a swear word and it changed my life forever. That's dated April 3rd, 2020. So uh, the quote reads as, quote, being in a job less than 12 months means you're shit, end quote. So this one line, uh, as he states in the article, this uh, this line is one I will never forget as long as I live. One of the biggest technology companies in the world had a cowboy mentality to their hiring strategy. As I told my career story in perfectly squared tenures that looked normal, there was the oversized elephant in the room, my seven-month stint as a company leader. It was my most recent role, and it was a big deal. It was no big deal to me. But when asked to explain it, I did so in the most truthful way that I could while highlighting where my areas of improvement lie. It was a textbook response to a question so so many people, just like me, get asked. I should have let it roll off the tongue, uh, being accepted, and become just another cog in the hiring policy of interrogation. And that's when the sentence came out abruptly and unexpectedly. That swear word highlighted her displeasure with my answer. It made me feel embarrassed, ashamed, upset, and a tad emotional, but I held it together. He goes on in this story, and it's a fantastic piece, uh, where... Basically, what she's telling him is that he was stupid and she was seemingly doing him a favor by saying this with the intent and desire to let him go back, accept that rejection and kind of retool himself for further interviews. Uh, he, he shares a lot of feedback and input in this story. I definitely highly recommend uh, checking it out. The, the one piece that I will share with you uh, down towards the end here is it states, when you're employed, companies can't wait to poach you. And when you're unemployed, companies wonder why you're not employed and you feel like damaged goods. So uh, <laughs> even though dreams don't happen fast, uh, they do happen over time. The uh, Fantastic article. It's more of a, a blog post under the human resources umbrella of theladders.com by Tim Denning. Definitely highly recommend checking that out. Not sure if either of you are going to have any feedback on what I've shared so far. Uh, but if you do, now's your time. Well, I, you know, it's funny because I, I always, um, and this may this may sound like a rationalization, but it's but I, but I genuinely believe this that anytime an employer is talking about a termination, for example, or even a bad performance review, I I really believe that they are doing the employee a favor um, mm. because if somebody's not in the right place or they're not capable of doing the right job, you're not doing them a favor by keeping them in a place they don't belong. And, you know, it's, it, it, it's bad for everyone's personal self-esteem to be um, doing a bad job and to feel like they're doing yep. a bad job. And if the employer um, is just keeping them because they don't have the guts to have that difficult conversation, I think it's the employer the employer that's at fault, not the employee. 
In other words, I tell managers all the time, it's your fault that you're keeping a, a poor performing employee because you don't have the guts to tell them that they're not doing a good job or to let them go. Because when you let somebody go, you're, you're really, you know, literally and figuratively setting them free. Yep. To find some place where they can meet their own, their, their actual potential. And so while this person had a bad experience in an interview, they also learned that's probably not the right environment or culture for them. Yeah. Not a bad thing. It's it, spot on, spot on, Mark. It, it's um, now I would really want to know what really was on the other side of that conversation, because I can't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people and they're just and, and, and look, we will have conversations with, with these folks that are just so annoying. And they just keep sharpening the same thing, same thing, same thing. And I can imagine myself saying, you know what? People on the 12 months ain't shit. If that, because I'm just pissed, right? So I would want, now I would never verbalize that to somebody in a real conversation, but damn it, I'm thinking it. And I got a really good imagination. So I would want to know what was really the other side of that conversation with that HR person just blurted that out. That's what I want to know. You know, I, but you're right. I, I can't lie. I got to share this with you both. I can, I can definitely think back to an interview that I had over the past 10 years um, where the people that were on this panel were asking questions in such a way where you were like, I absolutely do not want to work for or with you in any capacity under the sun. And I know that you're going to hire your best friend anyways. And I know when I leave this room, I'm going to go back to my desk and I'm going to see you as we get coffee together because it's in the same office. And we are so dysfunctional that we're going to go off the rails. And that actually inspired me to stay there as per a desire to make the place better and, and, and root these things out and, and strive for a change for a new and brighter future. You're such a Sisyphus. Rick, Rick, I'm telling you, it takes a lot, though. It takes a lot to hop into that role, man. I'm telling you. I'm being honest. You're no, making fun you. of me, Ricky. No, I'm not making fun. Yeah, so so my, point you know, is, my point shit. is, though, is that I agree with everything that you both were saying 110%. If an employee, though, uh, even if it's internal or external, they're coming into the fold and this is something that fits their mission, vision, and value, even though the culture of the organization might be slightly askew and does not align with current standard policies and practices, if they're a good person and they've got that intent to do good things and they can shift that needle from A to B, inspire people, lead from the bottom up, they could be the next CEO of the organization True. someday, you know? Yeah, sometimes from the employee perspective, maybe they just need to sock it up, buttercup, right? I don't know. Just putting a perspective out there. I mean, you're right. It's But you can't get mad at the environment that you can't change because you chose to stay there. And if you're not performing, Mark, it's 100% right. It's the manager who tells you you're not performing and you get disciplined out the door because you're not performing. Then you're being there. Hey, don't you put those words in my mouth. We're not talking about me right now. <laughs> okay all right bob let's talk about bob again right. he's rehired right? hey wait a bob second i got something for you rick yeah go ahead another story all right so moving on to our last current events topic story of the day right here love doing that to you ricky this comes from the new york post.com 15 men arrested for alleged quarantine violation at new jersey funeral 
dated April 2nd of 2020. In the story here, 15 men have been arrested during a funeral in New Jersey for allegedly defying the state's ban on public gatherings during the coronavirus pandemic, officials state. The incident in Ocean City, uh, Ocean County late Wednesday was the fourth time as many days that Lakewood police had to respond to a prohibited public event, this time a funeral, where between 60 and 70 people gathered, according to a joint statement. This gathering was in violation of Governor Phil Murphy's executive order, which bans gatherings of individuals, whether they be at weddings, parties, celebrations, or other social events, including funerals. As officers tried to disperse the crowd, the crowd became unruly and argumentative. They added about the incident at 8th Street and Madison Avenue. Uh, near a specific location there. The story goes on. It starts to name people. I'm going to leave that out of the uh, the current event uh, read for right now. Uh, press release did cite one of the suspects as a 100-year-old Lakewood man, uh, but the county's prosecutor office later said the man is actually 25 years old and said the error was due to a type, uh, typographical error on the paperwork. What's going on? <laughs> yeah, there's a whole lot going on in this New York Post story, let me tell you. It, was, earlier it wasn't incidents, a typographical error. They were, they were mentioning the person that passed away, and, yeah, and they messed up. So That's there's a whole lot going on there. Long story short, title of the article, 15 people arrested for gathering at a funeral in New Jersey. How no, does that make you feel? You said 15 men, right? 15 men arrested for alleged quarantine violation at New Jersey funeral by Yaren Steinbush. Didn't you find it weird they felt the need to say they were when I seeing 15 people? Well, that's the first one. There's some aspects of the story that I, I may have left out ah, there as we start gotcha, to get into gotcha, the names gotcha. and, and some of the gotcha. uh, demographics. Gotcha. Because I'm like, wow, there's no women at these funerals? Okay, that's very not diverse. <laughs> Got it. Got it. Um, so whose fault is that? The people... So whose fault is it? The people it's who are hard. gathering or the funeral home who decided to have the service? Is the funeral home an essential service? I would think it is. Right. Funeral homes, cemeteries are allowed to be open under the executive orders, um, but um, large gatherings are prohibited. So uh, there there is uh, there have been a number of funerals that I've just heard about anecdotally where um, it's just family and even family six feet apart. While somebody goes six feet under. So, <laughs> sorry. Is it too soon for that? No, no, no. It's uh, not too. It, it was perfect timing. That was actually like, pretty it was good. Comedically good. You know <laughs> what was kind of funny about that? I went for a drive before the show, and I watched this uh, as I was taking the ride down the road. There, I was watching this couple come out to greet what appeared to be like a older, uh, maybe relative of something like that. So the relative gets out of their car at the end of the couple's driveway. The couple walks out of the house arm in arm. And then when they like set up in the driveway, they're six feet apart from each other and still six feet apart, from, six <laughs> feet away from the guy. Optics. So it's like, it's all the optics in public view, yep. right? <laughs> yep. That's funny. We, oh. there, was, there was last week, though, um, a party in uh, southern Jersey. I saw that. Said, yeah, you saw that, right? Yeah. What's 47 that? 47 people in a one bedroom apartment <laughs> with a DJ. Yeah. Uh, wow. <laughs> wow. Oh, wait a minute. That's the Facebook thing I was at last night then. That's what it was with the DJ and everything. I knew it. I knew 47 people in one bedroom apartment. I read about that. And it, it just now those are people who are obviously trying to push the envelope because I doubt they would have done that any other day. Let's yeah. see how many people we could fit in here. 47. 
Could you imagine? Yeah. And and I guess they were honest because if the cops show up, hey, what's going on? Mm, nothing, just having dinner. This is why we have dinner every night. Well, here's the best feedback I have on that one. It's time for Florida Man Stories. Florida Man Stories, your last current event article of the week right here. This is uh, coming directly from WTSP.com. Florida Man accused of stealing equipment from a local hospital. Two hospital workers told deputies that they saw the man stealing from the hospital. This is dated April 4th. Down in Palm Beach County, a Florida man working at a hospital as a physician's assistant is accused of doing something unthinkable during the COVID-19 pandemic. The Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office said the gentleman stole emergency equipment from the hospital directly man uh the man in question is accused of loading 54 boot covers 26 protective overall suits 12 scrub jackets 11 head cover hoods a box of gloves and a pair of scrubs into a silver jaguar two hospital workers later told investigators they saw him do it it was that guy the total cost of everything he was trying to take was about 500 dollars According to deputies, the sheriff's office said that the theft of medical equipment over $300 is a second-degree felony. But since the county is in a state of emergency, it makes it a first-degree felony. The man was booked into Palm Beach County Jail for larceny of emergency equipment and grand theft of equipment during a state of emergency. For more information on that article, stop by WTSP.com. That is our last current event. Over to you. I'm almost certain that if that physician's assistant was driving an 84 Honda Civic, they would not mention the car in the article. (laughs) (laughs) I'm almost certain. (laughs) They had to mention he had a Jaguar. 52-year-old man in Toyota Tercel. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, come on. But you know what? um, I had that conversation with my wife earlier this this, uh, month because um, I know she manages some people. And I told her, hey, watch your employees. I'm not saying they are going to do this, but every organization, every month, they allocate in their P&L shrinkage. And that is stuff that they lose, right? And I, I guarantee whoever is in charge of the asset protection, they're watching that now. So if shrinkage goes from 10% to 38% in a week, they're going to start watching. So You talk about those exactly percentages. Mark, wasn't there something in... Uh in the city or, or the uh, tri-county area, right there, or tri-state area right there not too long ago this past week, I think. Didn't they find like 52,000 N95 masks or something like that? They did. They, they busted a warehouse, and it was really interesting how they did it. Um, there was a physician in Newark, New Jersey, who decided to take his regular practice and turn it into a COVID clinic um, just to try and help ease the burden on the emergency rooms. So what he did was, uh, you know, obviously a, a great service that he was doing for his community, but he didn't have the necessary equipment, the PPE. So he found a black market source, which sold him the equipment at 800% markup. And he was covered on a news story, a local news story on the NBC local station here. And the FBI picked up the story and they went to him and they said, where did you get this stuff at 800%? Yeah. Led back to a warehouse in Brooklyn that they subsequently raided. I hope wow. they find the rest of the toilet paper while they're at it. That's all I'm saying. Because <laughs> you know? that's getting old. And, and Carol Baskin's husband, too. They need to find him as well. Yeah, we left that out that's of the right. current events. But, uh, yeah, that, that yes, Joe sir. Exotic, he does have the COVID-19. He's been moved to a uh, a different hospital in the uh, Houston area. A lot going on have with you that seen Tiger it, King guy. Have you seen Ty- – oh, Mark hasn't seen it. Yeah, Look, save if yourself you ever find- and don't do it. 
Stop. No, no, do Stop. it, Mark. Do it. I'm telling you, you need to watch it. It is a beautiful train wreck. Watch it. Tiger King on Netflix. Mark, if All you right. thought this show was terrible, that's worse. Let me tell you. Okay. <laughs> hey, going around the room with some final thoughts to begin. Ricky Baez, final thoughts over to you. Um, you know what? It's um the same final thoughts I had the past couple of weeks. We've been covering this COVID nineteen stuff. Um, as an employer, just just don't don't get bogged down with policies too much. Start with what the right thing is, then start looking at those policies. But really think about what is the right thing for your employees at this time, not for your business, for your employees. If you start doing the right thing, what you for your employees and keeping their health and safety in mind, I guarantee you're not going to have any issues with any of the laws and policies that are coming down the pike. With that said, pay attention to the laws and policies. Mr. Mark Healy, final thoughts over to you, sir. Mark Kluger, but holy smokes, I'm sitting here staring at the website. Mark Kluger, I'm so sorry. That's good. Mark, (laughs) oh man, Lord, Mark Kluger of Kluger Healy LLC, (laughs) attorneys at law. Mark, I do sincerely apologize. I was sitting, I was enamored by your photo on the website. That's all. Oh, yes, thank (laughs) you. I just just spent two hours with you guys, right? You know. So <laughs> it's that M16 I took to the head in the Marine Corps. It is the mind, the mind. It's it was on purpose. Thing. It's okay. Tell it's you. all good. I've been, I've been called worse than Healy. So <laughs> not a problem. But listen, uh, you know, I, I think you're absolutely right, Ricky, in what you, in what your, your message is, which is, you know, we're all going to come out of this. And mm-hmm. um, I think that one of the things that uh, many people involved as employers um, and employment lawyers and HR professionals are experiencing for the first time is that you really learn an awful lot about people's characters when it comes to crises. And, um, you know, I, I don't know that we've all been in crises like this before, but I think that it says an awful lot about people's characters, how they react. And um, when this is all over, um, there are going to be winners and losers. And I think you're right, Ricky, that the ones who are going to be winners are those who did the right thing at the mm-hmm. end of the day. And hopefully um, employees will recognize that and the loyalty will will be um, will be given back. And so I think at the end of this, um, you know, those who come out the the, at the top will be those who have treated uh, their employees with with uh, dignity and handled things as best they could. I'll jump in with some final thoughts real quick. Mark, I can't thank you enough for your time today, getting in in detail from a high level on many, many things, Mm -hmm. uh, and definitely want to just hinge back to where we were at the start of the conversation, not just the fact that your last name's Kluger, but also the fact that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, should you need employment labor guidance, please seek out an attorney, seek out reputable sources. Uh, Sometimes what you find on the Internet isn't always true. Mark, what are some of the best ways people can reach you, sir? Well, I, I can be reached personally at my email address, which is mkluger, M as in Mark, K-L-U-G-E-R, at klugerhealy.com. And the important thing to know about Healy, besides the fact that it's not my last name, is it's spelled H-E-A-L-E-Y. Mm. A lot of people leave that last E off, so it's H-E-A-L-E-Y.com. That's the best way to get a hold of me. We also have uh, phone numbers all on our website, which is klugerhealy.com. And Ricky, some of the best ways people can reach you and us, sir. 
We are at hrtoppodcast.com. Uh, you can also use that same name on Facebook and, and Instagram. Twitter, we are at Podcast HR. We are also an email. We have an email address, folks. HRTalk at Biasco.com. And that old-fashioned communication thing is a phone number, 407-501-8425. Give us a like in your favorite platform where you get your podcast. We'd love to hear from you. On behalf of Mark Kluger, Ricky Baez, the intern of the program, senior executive Lucy, and the entire HR Talk podcast team, it's been my pleasure to be here for you tonight. Normally I say drive safe, have a good night, but this time, walk safely, stay six feet apart. Take care. I always walk safely.